Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi friends, welcome back and I hope you have had a good week. My week has been quite busy actually with podcasting stuff, which is is really exciting. I've had some fab interviews that I've recorded for our show and I've done a couple of guest interviews for other shows, which we'll talk about in a moment. Firstly, I'd like to say a massive, massive thank you to Will and Samantha who joined us on the show last week. And if you've not checked out the interview that I recorded with Will, and Tim for the Above Ground podcast, please do check that out because that was another fab conversation. Talking of fab conversations, I'm really excited to share today's episode. So I'm joined by Joey and Joey and I recorded this interview and then once we finished rolling, we kept chatting for about another like half hour or so and Joey invited me on his podcast and actually this week we sat down to record that again kept chatting afterwards um so I really really enjoyed connecting with Joey and having a conversation and as you'll hear we kind of went all over loads of um really great topics Joey really shares openly about his mental health journey and we kind of dive into some misconceptions particularly around kind of men's mental health and the way that we can kind of be presenting ourselves to the world and how that might not kind of match how we're actually feeling so um as I said, a lot of fun. So I'm not going to waffle on any more now. And let's just dive in to this conversation. And I will be back super quickly at the end. Hi, everyone. And I'm really happy to welcome today's guest, Joey, to the podcast. So Joey, welcome. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I, as I've said in my book, I'm a recovering douchebag. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I've spent most of my life with um, heroes in the business world. And I kind of aspired to be those folks over a period of time. And, and um, just the last, let's just say, four or five years of kind of reconsidering what that looks like. Um, I framed it in such a way that if your heroes are assholes, who are you and who do you become? And uh, I kind of became someone I didn't really like over uh, most of my adulthood. And then I fell in love. And I now have two little boys and my life is surrounded by them. And it's the first time I've really lived my life in the service of others. And I think that was really the big change is when you fall in love, truly, um, it changes the way you see the world. And so that's kind of where I am in my, in my journey. And then I wrote a book called Joey Somebody, The Life and Times of a Recovering Douchebag, and started a podcast called Laugh Your Cry Out, both of which are to shine some light on mental health and the importance of self-care and self-love and being less concerned about comparisons to other people, the societal constructs that we kind of grew up with as a culture. Um, and so that's, that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. Yeah, awesome. Well, it sounds like you're in such an amazing place now. So that's fab. And I'd love to hear about the journey to get there. But I guess the first place to start is douchebag. <laughs> when you yes. use that, what made you such a douchebag or kind of, yeah, tell us about that. Well, you know, I'm 54. So when I grew up, I was looking up to men like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Larry Ellison. And I even read the book Art of the Deal. Uh, by Donald Trump, my sophomore year in college. And I actually thought he was a hero. I thought he was someone that I wanted to emulate. Um, and this was obviously many years ago. And then as we found out over the last you know, <laughs> couple decades, he's not a good human being. And so it's, I think it's part of that where I grew up uh, poor. And because of that, I wanted to make sure I wasn't poor. And it wasn't like, you know, poverty in the sense that we didn't have food. My mom did a very good job of making sure we were fed and cared for and had a roof over our heads. And she was wonderful. So let me be clear about that. But the difference was when you don't have as much as other people, that's where my insecurity started to grow. Um, I didn't have, you know, 
the nice clothes. I was wearing tough skins as opposed to Levi's and I wasn't allowed to wear Nikes because they were too expensive. Just little insecure things that kind of started to bubble up. And then as I got older, um, those things changed into cars and homes. And, and so as I got bigger, uh, as I grew as an adult, then those things started to become more important to me. And like most people who achieve financial success, you realize that it doesn't, you're just feeding the maw of your ego and it just gets bigger as you do so. And so I, I learned that buying German cars and expensive clothes and traveling first class and staying in five-star hotels, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. There's pieces and parts that are very cool, but it's not something that I think people should aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a lot of that now with, I I guess with social media, that comparison and with Mm -hmm. the rise of kind of like influencers looking at people and going, I I want that. And and I saw something where it was um, like a behind the scenes where people were just faking this really glamorous lifestyle that someone was in Ikea and they made it look like they're in Bali. And so we're comparing ourselves to something that's not necessarily true and then beating ourselves up about not having that thing and that we'll be happy if I just had that holiday or that house or that car or. Well, I think, you know, in the zeitgeist, that was very clear with what took place uh, with Meghan Markle's interview, right? This is a woman who aspired, she had her own career in, you know, before she met uh, Prince Harry and, and she seems like a very wonderful human being from what I gather. Mm-hmm. And a lot of little girls dream about being a duchess or a princess. Um, And when there's Disney made tons of movies about that. (laughs) And when you actually get involved at the real level of a monarchy and what took place, she, I think she encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about here as far as comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, She had the big wedding with the white ponies and the queen and, you know, the, the military guards. And I mean, it was just as far as pomp and circumstance goes, it was really impressive. Um, But then what is the actual day-to-day activity of that life are you oppressed do you are you allowed to go have lunch with your friends are you allowed to do the things you want to do um and how do you have to present yourself as such if you're part of the royal family so that's a a piece of comparison that i think was uh very front and center lately and then as far as the comparison on like social media facebook instagram those kind of uh, portals there are people to your point that have rent they rent fake jets so they can go inside the jet and talk about what they're doing and how how well they're doing and where you know wheels up and we're doing this and that and so everyone feels completely you know intimidated or or by comparison they feel like they've failed right um and so i think that that's there's really good pieces to social media i think specific to like connectivity and community but the converse obviously is that you feel less than other people because of the constant comparisons, uh, fear of missing out. Everyone else has it together, you know, and I think that's a big part of what I try to encapsulate in my book is that when you look around, it appears that other people have it. They're going on. They understand that these things are happening. And what you realize is that when you get to know other people, you're like, Hey, they don't really have it. They don't really understand what's going on. Um, and, when you start to understand that, that's where imposter syndrome kind of comes in. You're like, oh, maybe not. Maybe everyone isn't as put together as they appear, right? And if that's the case, then maybe I don't need to be as put together as I think I need to be to fit in with the culture. Mm. That kind of thing. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, when, you, when you're a child, you're like, well, when I'm a grown up, I'll, I'll get it. I'll know how it all works. Yeah. I'm still yeah. waiting for that to happen. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah. And so a, a big theme, well, I was going to jump into the the big theme that runs through your book, but actually um, from from that point of, of aspiring to be like all of those people and um, yeah, Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> yeah. very maybe different perception of him now than, uh, you know, 10, yes. how many years ago, um, to where you are now, what sort of happened to take you from being a douchebag to a recovering douchebag? Yeah. And I think the operative word is recovering because it's not a past tense. I still have moments of arrogance. When I'm insecure, I puff up um, and I don't do it as much anymore, but I still, I still have those moments where I'm just like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe I just behave that way. But I think part of what I try to share in my story is that when you, it's the hero's issue. So when you emulate people and the way they behave, Steve, jo- Steve Jobs is an example. Uh, was mercurial 
in his management style. He yelled and screamed at people and made them feel less than. Um, and he did so maybe in part because he was a genius and he felt like he was better than other people. And there are a lot of arguments that he was, <laughs> you know, he's a genius and we have to kind of listen to him and look what he built. Um, we have the same kind of leadership with Elon Musk today, who's obviously gifted intellectually. Uh, the question, you know, that is is danced around in, in the corporate sector is he's a, he's a nice person to work with. Is he, you know, does he expect him, you to work 120 hours a week like he talks about? And is that okay? You know, is that something that we should aspire to as a culture? Um, specifically, if you have children and a wife and, you know, you care about your mental health and you care about your physicality and your diet and, you know, you can't work 120 hours a week. Can't. And, and if you want to have a balanced life. Um, and so that's a big part of where I would, I bought into all of that. Let's just say that. And I was in the ad business for the last 20 years of my career, which is a wonderful uh, dynamic industry. Um, advertising in general, I was at an ad agency um, and, you know, we worked with the biggest brands in the world and we told their stories and we, those are fun jobs, right? But the jobs are very, very taxing. So you're working 60 plus hours a week. And then during pitches, when you're going after a new client and coming up with new campaigns, um, you're putting in extra hours. So the 60 hours are just day to day. And then when you have pitches, you know, you're expected to work extra. Um, and there was an old adage in our industry on the resumes. It was agency experience required. And everyone's like, what does that mean? And it just means you don't have a life. So when we actually say, hey, we have a pitch on the 15th, that means the next two weeks you're in the office from nine in the morning until midnight. That's just what it is. And you accept that. And I did that and I lived that life and it was cool. Um, but part of what I think changed for me, as I mentioned, when we started talking about this is when I fell in love and I didn't want to be away from my kids. I didn't want to be on a jet 150,000 miles a year. I didn't want to be out at dinners and cocktail parties and um, conferences and things like that, you know, for as long as I, I could. So, yeah, that's kind of where the shift took place is when I got older and I realized like I live in San Francisco in an area called Russian Hill and there's trees that line Hyde street because that's where the cable cars go up and down. So it's beautiful and there's birds everywhere. Mm. And I lived here for eight years before I heard the birds. And I, when I quit my career to be a stay at home and dad and write my book, I was walking my kids to school. I was driving them to soccer practice and baseball and basketball. And I heard birds and I didn't hear birds because I heard them. I heard them because my kids heard them and they'd point to them and they'd say, daddy, look, there's birds. And I'd be like, oh my God, like there's a, there's birds in the trees. And I didn't even listen to them. And they would point to bugs, like little roly polies. And they would say, daddy, look. And, then, and I was like, okay. And then there was ladybugs on bushes and they would, touch the ladybugs and they would ask what these plants were. And it was just a fascinating change for me because I was like, little kids are curious by nature and they don't really have any past or future in their head, right? They're not obsessing about something they said last Thursday or that someone offended them, you know, two days ago and they can't get it out of their head or they're worried about keeping up with the Joneses, you know, cause my little dudes are worried. Can I have a new cookie? You know, can I have, <laughs> can I have another toy? You know, what, what goes on in a little boy's brain is so cool because I actually believe now as an adult, we don't have a lot to learn. We have a lot to remember. And the more we remember about being a child, specifically the innocence of curiosity and paying attention to birds and paying attention to, you know, baseball. If you can play baseball, it's a good day. If it's sunny out, that means you can go outside and play. And that's a good day, right? And all those are, are reminders to us adults who have so much duty and so much chaos in our brains to just chill out, just take a step back, breathe, listen to the birds, enjoy the ladybugs, you know, enjoy the walk, you know? Yeah. But there's something as well about children and absolutely the curiosity and that just that wonder of things that that we take for granted so much so i love the example of not hearing the birds and then suddenly it's like how, how long have they been singing for like yeah. yes but we just zone out and then when you can reconnect with it and feel that joy from something that's just so everyday and taken for granted i think is um 
it's amazing there's so much around us but when we're busy we just don't appreciate it no and, and a part of that and i don't you know i can't speak to everyone's careers but you know doctors and lawyers and accountants and investment bankers and advertising professionals and people that have a let's just say a a high expectation um your brain your critical analysis skills get developed more every year in those careers and i do believe that at some level you over develop those skills so you're not necessarily enjoying anything anymore if someone says well we should go and do this well well, we could but (laughs) what about traffic what about the weather what about the cost you know is it really worth it and when we get there you know so you're like (laughs) just overthinking almost everything you do and i think that's in part where our culture is struggling to slow down and you know with covid a lot of people were forced to think or rethink a lot of what they were doing um, and again fortunately my wife and i can work from home and and our little kids can go to school from home so i just want to preface that there's a lot of people suffering and we're not one of them so we're fortunate but the amount of time i got to spend compared to even the sports my little boys play sports so every weekend was sports you know you're up at eight o'clock in the morning get into their soccer games or their baseball games their basketball games so your whole life is driving them back and forth to sports driving them back and forth to school school functions pta you're just busy and that, that all stopped and when it did there was more time like my little my nine-year-old's playing guitar for the first time and he's been a jock his whole life so he's never touched his guitar but now he loves guitar and so he's listening to music, you know, just on his own. And my, and my little dude is, you know, drawing and playing and they're, they learn chess. You know, we all play, started playing chess because I think everyone started playing chess. Um, all of that was because our culture slowed down on, you know, unabated. We didn't want that necessarily, but when that happened, it, it did kind of reinforce what I'm talking about, which is, and it's not just me, there's millions of people talking about slowing down, right? So we have to slow down as a culture um, because it's proving to be deleterious to our mental health, to our anxiety, to our physical health. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's here. Yeah. The lessons are here. We just need to kind of pay attention to them. Yeah. It's interesting to think about, and I, I don't know how things are in San Francisco, but we're sort of gearing up to come out of lockdown and, and I think there's a mix that some people are like, yes, I'm ready to get back out there. And how much we'll hold on to that, that kind of slightly slower pace of life. Those of us that have been lucky enough to enjoy that and not be really struggling. Um, and how much people would just like go back as much as they can to what it was like before. Yeah, that's definitely a discussion. There's even anxiety about reentry that I've been reading about um, because you are, it's your, you've indoctrinated yourself to a certain lifestyle over the last 13 months. And so that is going to change. Um, San Francisco has been pretty good on the COVID front. Um, people here, it's a very liberal community. Um, so we've been attentive to the science and the recommendations, the masks and, you know, the social distancing. Um, and then the fact that uh, they're talking about everyone being vaccinated by May 1st is very encouraging. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing my mom as an example, she hasn't seen her grandkids um, and my wife's parents and, and those kind of things. I'm still not going to be on planes <laughs> unless <laughs> I have to. It's not, and when, you know, we're not going on a bunch of vacations, we're not, we're not going to be flying to Europe anytime soon. Um, but I do think that getting to getting back together with the nucleus that is your family, mm-hmm. um, I think is the first priority for me and my family. And I think a lot of people that I'm talking to feel the same way. They just miss, they miss their loved ones and they yeah. want to make sure that they can be together again. And that, that to me is very encouraging. Um, will people go back? I mean, we've proven that our culture has a very short term memory, right? So I think a lot of people will go back to the grind, if you will. Um, and, and maybe because it'll, it'll be such a juxtaposed position, they'll actually pay attention to it. Like, wow, this is really toxic. And I, I don't want to go back to this, you know? And I think even the commuting, I have a lot of friends here in San Francisco and I spent a lot of my corporate career in New York city and they've seen a mass exodus, you know, from the cities, even my friends who've bought homes, you know, up in upstate New York, if you will, hour out of Manhattan. Um, and a lot of those folks are not going back on the train, 
you know, they're like, I can work from home. I can spend more time with my kids. I can spend more time, you know, because a lot of us have home gyms now. So like you can work out from home. You can see your kids. You can read a book, God forbid. Um, and you can do things that you probably weren't doing previous to COVID. And so that's another piece, I think, that that's a shift that we have yet to figure out. Like, mm. how is that going to um, affect our culture, specifically in the business world, going back to office environments? What does that look like? Um, you know, because from the agency experience, we were convinced that our offices were part of our love for the job, right? Because they're usually historically our offices were really cool. You know, the exposed brick and the high ceilings and the glass conference rooms and, you know, beanbag chairs and pool tables and, you know, all of that for just to keep people there. Um, and that, that community was really fun. I loved that about the industry. Um, and will that come back full force? That's a question now that, you know, my colleagues are, are, are asking because the rents are very expensive. You know, mm -hmm. if you're paying $60,000 a month for 10, 8,000 square feet here in San Francisco, as an example, that's $720,000 a year. That's a lot of EBITDA. <laughs> you can come back and say, pick up. That's money we can pay to the team. That's money we can pay for bonuses. That's money we can put, you know, for content, whatever. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of rethinking that's going to happen, I think. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And there'll probably be a mixture because I think some yes. people are, are uh, oh, look, we can work from home now and, and we, we can save money. And some are like, actually, no, we want the community because that's really valuable to how we work. So I think we'll see a real mixture. It'll be uh, interesting times. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So the, the theme that, that runs through your book is insecurity. And then love it if you could talk a little bit about that, your experience with insecurity and, and how it's impacted you in your life. I remember going from like, I dropped out of college, which I could, if anyone ever wants to ask me about college, I'll just say, stick it out. <laughs> right. Um, that was like the first real big thing that I never got. I didn't say never. It took me 15 years to get over um, because a college degree to me is a it's a time in your life where you take on a very large project and you figure out how to complete it. And in that task, you make friends and you build a network and you get to know yourself. And it's a really cool time. Um, I dropped out because I was a bad student. I was impatient. Um, for a lot of reasons. And so then when I, I started a sales career, I started selling life insurance um, because the guy in my apartment building drove a Porsche. And so I, I literally ran across hot asphalt from the pool to his carport. I said, what do you do? Because he was like 24 years old. He said, oh, I work for New York Life and I sell life insurance and annuities. And I was like, oh my God, and you can afford this car? <laughs> you know, because that was my thing. I wanted, I wanted a German car. And he said, yeah. And long story short, I got an interview and got a job and, and I did it for a year. And, um, you know, I, I bought suits and I, I had a, I bought, a, I didn't buy a Porsche, but I bought a fancy car and, and, uh, got into the corporate realm. And then as I went from job to job to job, um, I went to an industry called financial printing. And at the time it was a very high end, um, long sales cycle, you know, seven figure contracts kind of thing. And the people that were there were highly educated, some of which were um, professional athletes, ex-professional athletes. And so they were, they went through the, the crucible, if you will. They had the college degree from, you know, Lehigh or Harvard or, or Yale or wherever it was. And then they actually played professional sports. And so when they were coming in to build the network, their job was to make friends with CEOs and CFOs and investment bankers and venture capitalists and people like that. And I was 26 and I didn't even know what these people were. I didn't know what a venture capitalist was. I didn't understand what is a CFO. And they're like, oh, it's a chief financial officer. And what is their duty? And, and so they overlooked the books. Yeah. And so there's something called 10 Qs and 10 Ks. And these are filings that you have to do with the SEC. And, and the company I went to work for was selling those as a service. So my job was to interact with these, let's just say elite if you will. And I never felt elite. And even when I went to corporate um, events, you know, we would, a lot of my friends were at the time were Stanford alum. So we would go to Stanford games and they'd have these big tents and finger sandwiches and, you know, bubbly and, and all the fancy people there. And I never felt like I was part of the crew. I always felt, you know, the imposter syndrome we talk about in our culture today. Um, 
And I never felt like I earned the right to be there. And so the insecurities then manifested in ways where I would overdress is an example. So if someone was wearing a $500 suit, I would go and get a custom suit um, that fit me perfectly. And I'd pay $1,000 for it, or I'd pay $1,500 for it. I'd get custom made, handmade Berluti shoes. And then I did go out and buy German cars. I bought a Mercedes that was more suitable for my father, you know, and his, his uh, ilk than a 26 year old man. And then I realized after a year, I was kind of a knucklehead for driving around this big Mercedes sedan. So I traded it in for a Porsche and I wrote about all this and it's, you know, when you write it out and you see how pathetic it is, it, it, it was very cathartic because it was, I was trying to impress nameless, faceless people. My friends didn't give two squirts that I had a nice car or that I had a, a custom made suit with my name embroidered on the you know, inside pocket. That was for me. I was so insecure about who I was and what I thought I was that I was trying to impress. And again, that's probably the most tragic piece of it is that you're trying to impress people that you don't even see. Part of the, part of the story that I share in the Porsche story was I was so happy when they had to move the red Porsche off the showroom to take it out for me. And I'm standing there with the service manager and there's all these people, you know, browsing and looking at cars and they see this young man. I was 27 years old in a, you know, overdressed three piece suit. I had a watch fob. I mean, you can't make this shit up. <laughs> um, and so I'm standing there in the showroom where all these people are running around at my behest, like making sure that they take care of this guy because he's going to write a big check for this red Porsche that was in the showroom. And I traded in my Mercedes to do so. And again, this is like, this is something if I was 22, I would be celebrating this. But as I was writing about this as a grown man, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this is, that's the douchebag side of it is that you're, you're not even doing it for yourself, right? I did love, and I still love German cars, by the way. So I, the fact that I love the cars now is different because the fact that I own cars that I like now is because I love the car. I'm impressed with the engineering. I'm impressed with the speed or the performance. That's fine because then you're at least doing it for yourself. But back then I was doing it to impress again, the nameless faceless masses. And that's yeah. pathetic. <laughs> so it's, you kind of have to get over that. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? How for a lot of us, the, the people that we're trying to impress are just nameless. It's like them. I should do this because then they were like, and it, who is the them? Yeah. There often isn't, the, you know the shoulds i should do this why oh because right there, there's not a person there it's just this story that we've created in our own head that that's what i need to be doing to impress whoever they are yeah they said we're supposed to do this oh yeah. okay who's they and it's a pronoun that we're using a lot now and that's a great question that people ask well they said we need to do this well who's they my parents okay well that makes sense if it's your parents that's one thing but where did they hear it you know it goes back to the expectations of our culture are bizarre. And the fact that if you look at, I think the linear path of our lives together, you know, when you graduate from high school, what's the first question people ask you? I don't know. <laughs> from high, from what? From, from high, high uh, school. Where are you going yeah, to college? Yeah. Right. And then you graduate from college and at your ceremony. So where are you going to go work? Right. And then you get your first job. And then when are you getting promoted? And then when you do get promoted, the next question, and this is just from they, right, is when are you going to settle down and get married? And then, you know, you get engaged and then you're so happy and you tell everyone you're engaged. And then they're like, so when's the big day? And then you get married. And then on your wedding day, when yeah, are the babies? <laughs> right. And then once you get the babies, you're like, okay, well, then when you get in the new house, because you got babies and you need a minivan. And so like, okay, well. And so like a lot of people just get thrown into this maelstrom and they're like, okay, now I'm here. And then, you know, when you get in the dream house and I watched this with my mom and her friends, I grew up in Minnesota and these are very hardworking professionals, wonderful people as a whole. But then they come in and they say things like we built the dream house. And then you see them at my mom's house later and you're like, oh, so how's the new house? And like, oh, well, we had to move because Bob slipped and he broke his hip and, you know, it had stairs in it, so we can't have the house anymore. And it's too far from the hospital. And you're like, oh, my God. So you look at that, again, the linear path to what we're supposed to do as a culture. And then you realize that were they happy or were they just continuing to you know, do what they said? And so you have to start to analyze who they are. And, 
if all those things are cool and that you want to do those things, that's fantastic. Yeah. See, I want, um, <laughs> my dream house but I, I probably would have to move somewhere like San Francisco because the type of house that I really like is a dream house they don't really there aren't any of those in the UK not in the same way I really like the um Victorian houses the really like ornate and we've got Victorian houses but they're not like your style and so San Francisco would be a good place so I couldn't have my dream house here because I probably wouldn't find <laughs> one wouldn't get planning permission to build one because they'd just be like no that doesn't suit. That's not acceptable here. Not acceptable. Right. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't fit in. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. We like as you said, we often don't. We don't stop to think. Well, what do I actually want? Because we're so on that that track of I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and then woo, I'll be happy <laughs> because I've got everything that I should have. Yeah, and that I don't think they're starting to teach mindfulness in school now, right? Which I think is really uh, encouraging. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and they have mindfulness. They meditate during the opening. Um, I drop my kids off at school. And so we, I hang out with them before they walk in. And then the principal usually addresses the kids in the morning for 10 minutes and talks about their, they have a pledge, which is basically to be nice and kind to one another. And it's really cute. Um, and then they, they say, let's all take a, you know, two minutes to meditate. Let's, let's breathe. And so like, I think you're seeing a shift in the culture that way. And, and we're a progressive area. So let me be clear on that. Um, but when people ask me, what is your goal as a parent? It isn't success in the same way that I grew up with that understanding. It's peace of mind. I want my little dudes to not think about the past and the future all the time. I want them to be present in what they're doing. I want them to choose a career that they love. And I know this sounds Pollyanna, but I don't mean it in the sense of, you know, you don't ever have to worry about working, but you do need to think about, you know, if you want to be a nurse, as an example, you're doing something in the service of others. And that's a great career. And you have to make the necessary adjustments, right? If you're a nurse in San Francisco, as an example, you're not living <laughs> where I live. Right. And it's because you don't make the money, but is the money is that important to you or is it doing something you love on a daily basis? And if you're an investment banker and you dig it, because I have buddies that do that and they love it, that's fantastic. And the byproduct is the money. It's not, I want to be an investment banker so I can make a lot of money because then you go to work 60 plus hours a week and you don't like what you do. And the only joy or only satisfaction you get is your paycheck. And those, I think that kind of thinking needs to be recalibrated in our culture. And so like for me, it is peace of mind that's very important for my dudes. I want them to be happy. Um, again, happy is a really weird word. I want them to be at peace. Mm. I don't want them to be constantly anxious and or sad about their chosen career because they need to do stuff. And even the young kids that I've worked with when they come into the agency and they said, you know, I want to do this. I want to be an artist. I want to, and you're like, cool, you know, stay broke. I tell them that all the time. You're 22, right? Yeah. And you live with three people. Yes. Okay. Stay broke. You know, don't go out and buy a car. If you want to be an artist, because a lot of, a lot of artists come to work in the agency space uh, and they want to paint or they want to draw and they're, and they're doing something for us. You know, they're making art for corporate clients, but they still want to draw. I'm like, stay broke. Oh, okay. And I remember one kid, one young kid came out and he just bought a new car. And I said, I thought you wanted to paint, dude. He's like, I did. I said, yeah, but you bought a Honda. Congrats. I mean, I don't know exactly how much you needed it, but he's, I really wanted a car. And I said, cool, but just understand that those actions are very telling. You're not staying broke, right? That car payment's 250 a month. The insurance is a hundred and you have to have a garage here in San Francisco. And then you have to have maintenance and then you have to have gas. <laughs> and, you know, so all those things are probably $10,000 a year, which means you got to earn 20 just to pay for the car. Right. And he's like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. And I said, that's cool. Don't worry about it. But, you know, just if you want to be a painter, if you want to be an artist, if you want to be a journalist, if you want to do something that doesn't really get a lot of pay in the beginning, stay broke and do what you love, because that that's something that I wish someone would have told me. I went to sell life insurance and other things because I was just I want the car. Mm. <laughs> right. And, and I think that that's where I will at least be able to tell my little dudes like, hey, you know, your actions are not aligning with what you told me. You can do that. Like if you want to go out and buy a car, because I get it, I love cars, but make sure that you're not doing a job you hate just to buy the car because mm -hmm. then you're going to be miserable. 
Yeah, I think that's great advice. I wish someone had given that to me as well, because I think once you take on whatever it is in terms of financial responsibility or you have your own place rather than having roommates and, and stuff like that, um, you then have those financial commitments and then you can't just take a risk and go for your um, dream job, air quotes, <laughs> but, but follow those opportunities wherever they are because you're tied into those things that you've already chosen, maybe not for the right reasons for yourself. Well, and a new apartment and a new car, which a lot of kids do when they get out of college. And that's fine. But if again, if you share your roommates and you don't carry the burden by yourself, you can have a much different life. You can jump on a ski trip with your buddies because you don't have a car payment, right? And, and again, I, I've been in a city, so I'm a very urban thinker, but it's just those, those decisions mean things. And I think that's a part of it. And to teach that to the younger people, I think is important because it isn't about things that much. I can guarantee you mm. if you have a Gucci purse that you paid $3,000 for on credit so that you can post it on Instagram and make your friends feel like, Oh my God, I, you know, Susie has a, a Gucci purse and you did it because you wanted to put it on Instagram. <laughs> you're, you're not, now you have to pay that thing off for a long time, depending on what you're making. And that purse then owns you. Right. Mm. And that's a big piece of where, yeah, I'm probably rambling now, but th those, <laughs> all those, all those things are, are pieces of life. I want my children to avoid mm. because they don't, they don't satisfy you. Again, I think the maw of ego grows bigger and bigger as you feed it. And you, mm. we have to be careful as a group, as a, you know, as human beings to, to monitor that and see what that looks like. Yeah, Absolutely. So, Joey, before I ask you my set questions, do you have a, a final thought on um, being a recovering douchebag, insecurity, anything that we've talked about? Well, I think shedding personas is maybe the greatest thing that I've ever done because I've always masked my insecurity with arrogance. And the difficult piece of that is that it was rewarded. So as a businessman, it was rewarded. As a salesperson, it was rewarded. As a man who loved female attention. It was rewarded. Um, I was good at it. I, I projected true confidence. Um, in a room, you knew I was there because I wanted you to know I was there. Um, and that was magnetic for a lot of attention. Um, and for me, female attention was really important. Um, and once I shed those personas, I felt lighter. It was like removing you know, a suit of armor. It's heavy and it's not who you are. And behind that is a very sensitive human being. And once you kind of shed that, life feels different. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've skied, but when you get done skiing for the day, you take off your ski boots, they're heavy and clunky and you put on shoes. You're like, oh my God, this is so comfortable. You know, it's, that is what happened when I shed the persona of Joey, of just, you know, Oh, this is me. I'm this corporate guy and I'm super important and, and I have nice clothes and blah, blah. And as opposed to like now, it took me even a year to admit to myself that I was a stay-at-home dad as I was writing this book. Um, and now I'm proud of that. I talk about that first. So it, it took me a while to just let go of the societal constructs that dictated who I was and how I acted. And so I think shedding all of that was probably the greatest thing I've ever done for myself and my family. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I guess there's also for people on the outside looking in, there's that, um, as you said, you were projecting that absolute confidence, but inside that wasn't actually how you were feeling. And I guess it's that not judging a book by its cover, just because someone's showing you a particular persona doesn't mean that's actually what's going on under the surface. No, no. I mean, we all suffer at different points of our life. And, mm. and we all go through tragedy, right? We're all going to lose our parents as an example. Um, I lost my little brother to depression. Uh, I've lost friends to car accidents. And, and when you are dealt with that level of tragedy, you kind of reassess things. You're like, well, how important was what I was obsessing about yesterday? How important is that today? And then you, know, you can even ask the question to the people that lost someone. You know, I, one of my friends lost her husband to a bizarre traffic accident. And they were first, they're the first date for each one of them. They met in high school, sophomore year, they fell in love. 
They had two kids. They were madly in love for 35, 40 years, whatever it was. And she lost him. And that kind of stuff changes the way you see the world. And so were you obsessed about, what were you obsessed about before that happened? You know, can you get back, can you get back to being who you are? Right. And I think that that's a piece where when the world shakes you pay attention because mm -hmm. it's trying to wake you up. It's trying to help you not be so anxious or not be so concerned about keeping up with the Joneses or not comparing yourself to others. All the things we know, I think intellectually, we have to absorb emotionally. And that's the bigger issue. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. <laughs> but a good one to, to think about. Um, but I'd love to ask you my set questions and sure. hear your thoughts on these. Yeah. And so the, the first one is what brings you joy in your life? I think I've touched on that already. So I don't want to be redundant, but I can't not be redundant here. My joy is my wife and my little boys. It's my, and my brother, my brother um, is very active. Um, he's 11 months, my senior, he's been my best friend for years, my mentor. Um, so he's active in our lives. He's here three to four days a week. Um, he teaches the children. He's a lawyer and a law professor. And so he's very academic and, um, watching my brother who suffers from chronic depression actually find joy with his time with my kids is a extra blessing I didn't anticipate when I fell in love and had kids. Um, and then being a coach to my little dudes, you know, their soccer and their basketball and their baseball has been a blessing, not only in the sense that I get to watch them run onto the field with my name on their jerseys, right? I get to be around all these other little kids and I think I also mentioned that kids have taught me what joy is and it's not happiness. It's a big difference. It's much deeper and it's much more um, satisfying. Mm. So yeah, my, my family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the next question is sometimes similar, sometimes different. Um, yeah. And by all means, the same again <laughs> is absolutely fine. <laughs> is um, what makes life meaningful for you? Well, that's part of the shift for me is that starting the mental health platform, this is the first time I've ever done anything without a transactional piece to it. So, you know, when you quit a corporate career and then you tell your other friends even, and even my wife, you know, I'm going to write a book. Okay. Have you ever written a book before? No. Okay. Um, and I'm going to start a podcast. Have you ever done that? No. Okay. So do you, do you plan on making money doing that? No. Okay. So what are you doing? You know, it's like, I don't know. And I may have to go back to corporate America at some point. Um, but we're okay. Like financially we're fortunate and we have a good life. And so I'm like, I need to figure this out. Like I need to shift my life into a service of others. Jack Ma, who is one of my business heroes. Um, I watched him at a presentation once and he talked about in your twenties, you need to find a mentor and you need to listen to that person far more important than a company. And then in your 30s, you learn how to be an executive. And then in your 40s, you're managing leaders and, and teaching future leaders. And then when you're in your 50s, you should teach something. Like, what did you learn and how can you help others? And so for me in my mid-50s, I think that was a piece that I took to heart is like, what can I tell? What can I teach other people as a former executive in the media landscape? And then as someone who had to make this transition, that's what this mental health platform is for. It's to help people transition and to help people feel less alone and to share my stories of anxiety and depression so that people understand like, oh, okay. And I try to do it through the lens of laughter. That's even where the podcast name comes from is laugh your cry out. I don't want it to be, you know, completely morose and, and, and just, you know, people sobbing and I, that's not the goal of it. <laughs> I think the idea that the big piece of this is I'm now living in the service of others for the first time. Um, in my career and it feels really good yeah absolutely i mean i hear you <laughs> and uh, yeah anyone who gets into podcasting not <laughs> yeah we don't do not... it for we don't do it for money right no. yeah <laughs> no um but it's so much fun um so my next two questions are around our overarching topic of the podcast which is mental wellness so my first question is what does mental wellness mean to you it is true peace of mind it's can you sit with yourself quietly, right? I think that's a great measure. Ram Dass made a joke that's pretty famous now. And he said, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your parents. Um, and and <laughs> that is a really cool way to measure your mental health in the sense that when you're with family, 
um, they know your buttons, they know how to push them. And sometimes they do it unconsciously, but you know, mental wellness to me is being okay with yourself, being okay with being quiet um, and staying present. So there's the whole, you know, chop wood, carry water, Buddhist piece. Um, what does an enlightened person do after he finds enlightenment? Well, he continues to chop wood and carry water, right? It, it's what you're doing. There's a, a young man, not a young man, Eckhart Tolle is someone that I've read uh, his books and listen to his meditations. And I, I find him to be um, truly enlightened. And I don't say that lightly because I haven't seen a lot of that. But what he talks about with presence is an example in COVID was when you're washing your hands, are you washing your hands and enjoying it? Are you enjoying the warmth of the water and, and the smell of the soap? And in that 20 seconds where you're supposed to be washing your hands for COVID, are you present? Are you paying attention to that? Are you like, wow, this feels really good. Or are you in your head? I have to get this done and I have to get this done and I have to get this done. That's to me, the, the genesis of mental wellness is, are you present in what you're doing? Even if it's something that's not comfortable. So if, if there's, and we all have this happen in you know, our life situation, right? You have your health situation. You have your financial situation. You have your marriage situation, your parenting situation. You have all these situations. And if they're not all congruent and not everything's perfect, then you're supposedly going to be anxious. And we can't do that to ourselves because there's always going to be some type of challenge in any one of those facets of your life. And if you're present with them, it happens. And that was part of therapy. I went to a lot of therapy. Um, <laughs> and my therapist taught me the difference between reacting and responding. Mm. And so historically, because I grew up with some abuse, my first reaction was violence or anger or rage. And that doesn't work, right? If you can pause after someone says something offensive or does something offensive, um, the pause is the important piece because that means you're letting yourself go. That means your amygdala is not triggering your next response. Right. And you can say things like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that coming, but you know, and so you've now kind of remapped your brain to be present with what just took place. And in the sense of tragedy, it's the same thing. It may not be what you want, but it is right. Mm -hmm. And so what is happening is something you need to pay attention to. And for me, historically, if bad things happen, I would just compartmentalize that, shove it down and not deal with it. And that manifests into weird things, even physical manifestations. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think long-winded answer there, but it's, nice. it's just, it's, it's being at, it's being present, Hannah. That's the yeah. important piece. Well, I think you've, uh, in answering that, answered the follow-up as well, which is what you do for yourself to stay present. Um, yeah. And for me, um, physic, physical exercise is key because it does calm down the carnival in my head. Right. Um, I, I bike, I mountain bike with my wife. Um, we have a Peloton in the house now because everyone does, I think. Um, and I lift weights. So I have to have to engage my, my physical because it does calm down the mental. I have to meditate. I have to eat right. Um, which is very difficult for me because I'm an emotional eater and I can really pound the food when I'm, when I'm really anxious. <laughs> I can chuck down more food than most people could possibly imagine. Three, 4,000 calories at two in the morning, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And so- I, I was about to say, well, I don't know because I'm an emotional eater as well, but maybe- <laughs> Well, I mean, but it's, and you know how bad you feel the next day, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where it really helps because it's a cortisol issue. You're like, come on. I just couldn't fucking and and you and sometimes you're even excited about it. You're like, oh wow, okay, I'm gonna watch this movie and I have this sleeve of Oreos. I have this, you know, whatever you have that you're excited about. So it's not that it's all bad, it's just anything in excess is bad. So for me, I have to watch because I have an addictive personality. Um, I have to watch what I'm doing. And so I have to these these constructs of my life are very important. The meditation, the physicality, um, the time with my kids the time to be alone and at peace and to just let my brain go crazy even. And, and, you know, the thoughts that come through our heads, we don't know where they come from. Right. So it's difficult to, uh, we shouldn't believe all of them, but we do. 
Um, and the, the old Buddhist proverb is that, you know, you can, in, you can listen to your thoughts, just don't invite them for tea. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's another piece is that when you're obsessing about it, a thought, justify it, like ask yourself, is it true? And if it is true, and I, um, Byron Katie talks about this, but mm-hmm. is it true? And then you're like, well, is it really true? Can you truly prove, you, you know, is, and you're like, oh, not really. You know, is it <laughs> fake news? Yeah, it really is fake news. My brain's just, <laughs> you know, just it's producing bullshit and I'm believing it right now. So I, I've gotten to the point where I can start to recognize that when I, I'm really anxious about something. I have to kind of sit with myself to do it because I wake up anxious a lot. And the analogy I shared with my therapist even was I have, I live in a 50 room house and there's three lights on and I can't relax until I find the lights. You know, I have to go figure out what those lights are on and turn them off. Um, and, and that's kind of my process where I, why am I anxious? Uh, I'm anxious about this deliverable I have, or I am anxious about, I didn't get this done and, or I need to get this done for my wife, or I have, I have to write this, you know, piece for my book or whatever the situation was. And then once you kind of, it's kind of like putting down, you know, you wake up at night and you have all this energy. They say, keep a notepad at your desk so that you can write down the things that are in your head and then you can go back to sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing with anxiety is that try to locate your anxiety and in doing so it, it helps to remedy that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So my, my next question is how would you describe your own mindset? I'm about 52% present now. Mm-hmm. Um, I made it over the, you know, the, majority threshold. Um, because when I'm with my dudes, I'm present when I'm with my wife, I'm present, um, in between, you know, sometimes I, I start to go places where I'm not happy. Um, so I'm getting there. Um, it's, it's a work in progress, but I think for the first time in my life, not only when I'm not present, I recognize it and that's key mm. because then I have to analyze or analyze where I am. Where'd you go? Like, where'd your brain just go? And my wife even helps me with this because I've told her if I look like I'm, you know, spaced out, ask me what I'm doing. And sometimes I'll be sitting there or I'll talk to myself in the kitchen and she's like, okay, what's going on? You know, I'll hear it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, good question, babe. Um, yeah, I was obsessing about this. And then she'll laugh and we'll laugh together. So yeah, I, I, I'm like most people on this path to, um, or at least mental health as a goal to it's it's something you're conscious about it's something that you're attempting to uh work on i'm doing that every day and some days are better than others um and i still have episodic depression i have days where my brain will collapse uh and some it'll tell me too like you know right getting this book up it, it was so much effort because i'm i'm not a perfectionist but you know when you put a book out you want to make sure that you you've shared your story with authenticity and honesty and, and candor. And, and sometimes the sentences will just keep going through my head. Like I need that doesn't work or that, that transition didn't work or that allegory wasn't clear, or maybe Mm. that story is going to offend people. And you know, that kind of stuff you have to, you have to control otherwise it can take you over. And I think that's in any, whatever job you have or whatever uh, role you have that you're playing. I think you have to, factor in all those pieces and parts and sort yeah. them out. Yeah. That's just how my brain works. It's, it mm. needs to be, I need to pay attention to it or it gets mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you're very self-aware and I think that's really important to recognize those things in yourself and, and be able to, uh, yeah, try and manage them all, or, you know. Um, so I think we've already given people so, you've given us so much, um, you know, things to think about and perspectives and stuff. But I always ask guests that come on to leave us with between one and three top tips of things that you'd recommend that we try in our lives. For mental wealth, for mental wellness. Mental wellness or anything. Yeah, I think isolation is the worst thing you can do for mental, for your mental. If you have issues around depression or anxiety, do not isolate. Um, that's key. And it's more difficult during times of COVID because you are chosen or told to isolate, but reach out to friends, reach out to community, find community. Um, There's things out there. There's a lot of online health um, for people to talk to therapists. There's other groups now that are reaching out to people. I was on a call this morning where a group was called, you are never alone. 
And these are just people inviting other people to come and talk or to listen to that. Because if, if you do feel less alone, it helps. We know this. We know this at a scientific level that if you're out talking to people, if you're interacting with others, uh, raise your hand too. Don't just sit there and say, I'm great. Everything's great. You know, let the persona down um, when you're in trouble. Um, and then the same kind of things I think to do with anxiety and depression, there's axioms for a reason. Do not isolate, control your diet, control your alcohol, make sure you do some physical exercise, getting out and walking. And you can do that in COVID in nature is also proven to be very beneficial to your mental well-being. Listen to the birds, right? <laughs> Pay attention <laughs> to nature, smell the eucalyptus trees, look at the stream, look at the ducks, look at everything that's happening around you uh, without the narrative looping through your head of what all the things you need to do and all the adulting that you need to participate in, right? Um, that's probably the best advice I can give folks because it works for me. And it's not, again, these are not Joey axioms. These are, you know, things that I've, I've parsed out of copious amounts of reading about mental health and depression and MDD and anxiety and all of those very deep, rich subjects. Um, there's a lot to pull out of that. And the good news is that the norms are there for a reason and we all share them um, and we all experience the same thing. And I think that's another part about joining communities is that when you do hear other people say, oh, you know, it's like these, these encasing bell jars or tunnels, or I feel like I'm living at the bottom of a well or, you know, whatever their explanations are, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's exactly how I'm feeling. And, and that immediately gives you a little bit of a dopamine rush. It helps. It helps because you're like, okay, I'm just human and yeah. okay. Then I'm good. You know, and you can, and then you can start the healing if you will. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for this. And then my final question, Jerry, is where people can connect with you if they want to find out about your book. If they, yeah. Where are you? Where can we find you? <laughs> Well, the joeydumont.com is my website. So that's key. And then my podcast is yet to be launched. I've been, I've done the episodes, but we're pushing them out um, simultaneously with my book. My book will be published on April 2nd mm -hmm. uh, on Amazon. Um, and it's called Joey Somebody, The Life and Times of a Recovering Douchebag. And uh, again, the podcast will come out once a week. It's a weekly podcast. And I interview people that are, as of right now, there are other memoirists have written about anxiety and depression, but we have really cool conversations that are not dripping in sorrow. Let's just be clear there. That's even the name is to, I want people to laugh with other people. I don't want them to laugh at other people. And I think if we can laugh with one another about our human condition, then we can stop laughing at one another. And then we heal as a group. That's kind of the goal. And I'm a big believer in that laughter is the beginning of healing. So I'm trying to, and I laugh at myself a lot. The book, I'm, I'm making fun of myself most of the book <laughs> where I'm just <laughs> pointing the fingers at me and like, you are a douchebag. And when you do that, um, it's very liberating because when someone else, and I've had people, you're a douchebag. I'm like, I am not a douchebag. I'm the douchebag. Let's get it right. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joey. I've, I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you today. And thank you for everything that you've shared with us. It's been fantastic. Well, thanks for having me, Hannah. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, you're welcome. So thanks again to Joey. And Joey's book um, is out now. So Joey, somebody, the life and times of recovering douchebag. Um, so I've not read it yet, but it's definitely on my reading list to check out. Um, and as Joey mentioned, his podcast is Laugh Your Cry Out. And um, we've recorded an interview. And when that is out, I will share it with you. But again, uh, check it out. I mean, I mean, I had such a fab time. And hopefully Joey will be back later uh, in this year with some of our other guests as well for a, a panel. Um, last year, we did a panel kind of discussion. We streamed it live, which was a big deal, <laughs> quite stressful, and turned it into a podcast. And I definitely want to do more of those this year. So um, I'm thinking we're going to do one around men's mental health, uh, 
for Men's Health Week. So stay tuned for details on that. We're also going to do one about youth mental health. That's an area I'm really passionate about. Um, But if there are other topics that you would really love us to explore in more depth and have a range of guests on to share their perspectives, please let us know. We love to hear your feedback and the kind of things that you want us to cover on the show. So probably easiest way you can connect with us on social media, we're pretty much everywhere at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching, or you can email me directly, Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, S at psyche psyke.co.uk or on our website which is psyche same way.co.uk there is a contact us form so you can send any feedback comments recommendations suggestions uh, we're always happy to hear it um, and then the last thing I'm going to mention for today um, just to try and you know keep to the short and not just get carried away with chatting uh, is an exciting I'm excited anyway program that I am running through May. So one of the things now that we're, I guess, an established podcast, um, according to listen notes, we're in the top 10% globally, which is wild. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's true, but I'll take it. Um, Lots of people who are kind of interested in having their own show, and they don't really know what podcasting is about, ask questions. And I'm always happy to to share my kind of ideas, my, my advice, and podcasting I think is um, a really amazing medium I love it I think it's a fab way of connecting with people and kind of sharing your message that you're kind of passionate about Uh, so if you listen to lots of shows and you've had that idea of oh I'd love to have my own show whether it's something kind of career focused if you like or whether it is just a topic you're really passionate about a sports team that you love or a hobby I don't know LARPing popped into my head, I don't know why. <laughs> or Marvel. I mean, I love Marvel. Um, whatever it is, if you've kind of had that idea of I'd love to start a show, but I don't know where to start, I don't know the the kind of tech side, I don't know what we talk about. Ah, uh, don't worry. <laughs> so through May, I am running a group mentorship program to really take people from idea ready to launch. So basically the kind of why, what, and how of your show. So we'll meet once a week for a group kind of call. Um, I was about to say coaching call, but it's not coaching. It's more mentoring and kind of supporting each other and really kind of thrashing out your ideas a little bit. So it's an hour group call a week, plus some activities and prompts in between to really help you through that process. So if you're interested over on our website, um, psyche.co.uk forward slash mentorship, I think. Let me check. Yes. (laughs) Forward slash mentorship. Uh, And there's some information on uh, on there about the program and uh, a way that you can register your interest and we can have a chat to find out if if it's right for you. Um, As I said, I think it's, um, well, let's, uh, (laughs) a bit of honesty. Uh, You know, there are sometimes people who are like, start this podcast. And I think there are some people who maybe their entire profession is a podcast, but if that is kind of what you're thinking, then this probably isn't the program for you. <laughs> for for me, podcasting predominantly is a, a passion project. It's something that I love. I love the collaborations and connecting with people and having these amazing conversations that I get to share with you. Um, it's about connecting with you guys listening. It is about the stuff that I learn and it's a, a hell of a lot of fun. Um, it's not so much money (laughs) it's you know we don't have adverts as you know um and I very rarely actually (laughs) mention the stuff that I've got going on and and working with me because I mean that's something I probably should do more but anyway that's kind of not really what we're about so if you're someone who has some some kind of something to say really whatever it's about and you're interested in exploring this as a way of getting out there um, probably more if you're like, yeah, I, I kind of definitely want to do it, but I need some support to do it, then this is the program for you. Uh, feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions. But I'm super excited about this program. It's the first time we're running it. We might do more. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so it's running through May this year, 2021, if you're listening to this in the future. Um, so yeah, I would love to, it's very, it's going to be a small, small group. 
only six places on it so if you're interested please do get in touch and I would love to help you to get your podcast out into the world um talking of podcasts in the world I feel like I'm saying that a lot today talking of um anyway (laughs) oh I feel like I need more coffee um if you enjoy the show, please do rate and review. It really does mean a lot and it helps us to reach more people and to share the message that we have here, which I think is a really great message. So please do uh, do share and subscribe. Uh, so it just magically appears wherever you listen to your podcast episodes. Uh, I think that is everything that I have to, to share with you today. As always, um, I hope you're doing well. And, and actually... Even if you're not, like sometimes we're not okay and and that is okay as well. So I guess just wherever you are, check in with yourself and kind of what you need uh, to be kind to yourself and and to take care of yourself. That's our kind of like message always at the end of the show. But I think it is about checking in and thinking about what it is you need to be able to do that, to show a little bit of that kindness to yourself and for me today that has been giving myself a little bit of a kick to get up and do stuff um because I've been in a little bit of a wallow shall we say uh so that's my kindness to myself today um wherever you are however you're doing um maybe take a moment to think what you can do for yourself to show a little kindness to yourself today but as always, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Massive thanks to Joey again. Um, we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode. Till then, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>